Welcome to the Chronify Podcast. This is Ben Miller. Today's episode is about the shortcomings of net worth as a metric of financial success. Before we get to that, if you're enjoying the podcast, please do subscribe. And if you're downright loving it, leave a review. That's a great way to show the algo that this is something worth sharing. Now let's get to the episode. For many people, step one toward feeling like they're making progress in the world of personal finance is watching their net worth number move northward. After all, net worth is intended to be an objective measurement that you can use not only to compare current you to you one year ago, but to compare current you to that wonderful Jones family down the street. Such well-behaved children, how do they do it? But net worth leaves much to be desired in terms of measuring what it's actually supposed to measure. When we tally up our net worth, we're trying to determine how well we're doing. But net worth fails at that task in several key ways. Flaw number one. Housing inclusion. When people calculate their net worth, they generally include their home, less any mortgage or other debt related to the home. However, this home equity is really just prepaid consumption. People get confused about this all the time. Many people are hoodwinked into believing that their house is an investment. Don't get me wrong, in certain circumstances, housing can be an excellent investment. But without an edge in determining which house or real estate market, is going to be a good investment, we're faced with a disquieting fact. If you believe Robert Schiller, and I do, he was my senior thesis advisor, the data shows that from 1890 through the end of 2019, housing keeps pace with inflation plus 0.5% per year. And that's it. So don't count on your house making you rich. If owning your home helps you avoid sky-high rents, or if you're right in your bet that the house you buy is underpriced, then it can still be a great financial decision to buy a home, but that's far from always the case. Since a house is often the single largest purchase a person ever makes, it's no wonder that people want to include it in their net worth. But we can't have our cake and eat it too. Fact is, when you own a home, the investment return you get from it is already baked into your situation in the form of reducing your housing expenses. So counting your home as part of your investable asset base would be double counting. This is made particularly clear when we consider the fact that for most people who own a home, selling that home would trigger a drastic increase in their monthly housing costs. Add that to the fact that many people's attachment to the home they own is so strong that they would never sell it anyway, so the run-up in price of the home doesn't benefit them in the strict sense of the word, although it might benefit their heirs. So when you're trying to figure out how close you are to your goal of having enough wealth to cover your monthly expenses without working for money, Don't include your house in that calculation unless you're also willing to assume a drastic life change or significant increase in expenses from starting to rent. Flaw number two, expense ignorance. If the question we're trying to answer with our net worth is how far am I from insolvency, then net worth again comes up short. If you have 100k of invested assets and your annual expenses are 20k, you probably got at least five years until you need to worry. However, if you have 100k in invested assets and you spend 200k per year, And you've got six months, not so comfortable. The point is that without knowing how much money you spend to keep your lifestyle going, net worth is not up to the task of telling you how comfortable you should feel. Some people might try to skirt this issue by telling themselves that they could cut back if they really wanted to. If we know anything about hedonic adaptation, then we know that's a recipe for unhappiness. 
In fact, it's a plan to respond to an unpleasant and unexpected event by eliminating the comforts on which you've come to depend. Double ouch. Flaw number three, signal versus noise. People use net worth to answer the question, how good should I feel about my finances? If that's what we're looking to know, then tracking net worth is again a recipe for unnecessary unhappiness and a lack of discipline. So here's on unhappiness. One of the most important rules of behavioral economics is that losses are felt more strongly emotionally than gains of equivalent size. That means that even if the market goes up in the long run, the up-down all-around motion of the stock market can leave us sick to our stomach, particularly if we check our balance frequently. This point is addressed brilliantly in Nassim Taleb's Fooled by Randomness. Once you have a substantial amount of invested assets, it often becomes the case that the movements in the stock market will dwarf the impact of your labor in determining your net worth. If you make $1,000 from your labor in the same day that your portfolio is down $5,000, how should you feel? If you take net worth as your only input, you're bound to feel bad despite the fact that you did great in the realm that you could control. And now on the lack of discipline. Imagine you've done the math and figured out that you can save an extra $2,000 per year if you do meal prep at home rather than buying lunch at work. You diligently try it out for a month, and sure enough, your expenses are $200 less than the month before. But in the same period of time, your portfolio has lost $2,000 in value. A bad turn in the market can make you feel like your efforts at controlling expenses don't matter. When it comes to overall financial health, nothing could be further from the truth. But watching net worth alone obscures that fact. The flip side is that when the markets are up, it becomes a lot easier to splurge. You feel rich, so you act rich. Discipline goes out the window as the market continually bails you out of your profligate spending. Either way, following net worth can lead to a failure to control what you in fact do control, harming your ability to do what is in your power to follow the right course of action over the long term. So here are the key takeaways. All three of these issues should make you pause before you attach undue importance to the net worth as a number. Knowing your net worth is only helpful if you can adjust it appropriately for what it means in the context of your lifestyle. This is quite important with respect to housing, but it's even more important in relation to your overall spending. Most importantly, since the pursuit of financial independence is a marathon and not a sprint, it's important to apply a dash of stoicism to your approach. We should all strive to separate the things that happen around us into two buckets, what we control and what we can't control. We can control our expenses, but we can't control the market. Perversely, the more wealth we accumulate, the more of our net worth responds to the latter. Don't let the market pull you off your path. If you successfully track the impact of your spending decisions separately from the impact of what the market does, you'll be more likely to succeed in the long run. You can also feel more satisfaction here and now, knowing that you're doing what you can to improve your situation. The rest is just noise. More success in the future and more satisfaction now. I'm in. How about you?